Hi, friends. Welcome back. This is Pastor Matt Icorn with you from Eckerd Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us here on our podcast of Building Lives. Today, I want to focus our attention on the disciplines of a godly person. The disciplines of a godly person. What does it take? Well, I saw this t-shirt where on the back of the t-shirt at the very top, it said, Real Men. Real Men, and then had a list of all of these things. Real Men drink their coffee straight. Real Men don't go shopping. Real men never ride shotgun when their wife is driving. Real men don't use instruction manuals. Real men show off their injuries. Real men only need two things to be successful, duct tape and WD-40. I think we can all relate to that, and many of those are very true for us as men. But what does it take to be a godly person? One thing I didn't see on that t-shirt says, real men are godly men. You see, godliness is intended to be a pervasive quality that penetrates every dimension of a man's life, of a person's life, that person's personal walk with Christ, that person's commitment to his family, that person's work ethic or treatment of people or money management or testimony in the person's community, etc., etc., So I ask you the question, in your circle of acquaintances, what causes you to think of a person as being a godly person? One of the character traits of a godly person is discipline. I enjoy sports, and football is one of my favorite. Mike Singletary, he's a perennial all-pro, two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl team member of Super Bowl Twenty-Five, Chicago Bears. He was just fun to watch. And as a kid growing up, and even into my adolescent years, I enjoyed watching him. He was a beast on the field, but he was only about six foot tall, and he weighed 220 pounds, maybe. He was a disciplined student of the game. In his biography, Calling the Shots, He says that in watching games films, he would often run a single play 50 to 60 times, and it takes him three hours just to watch one half of a football game because he wants to study the opponent. He wants to study their offense, see what they do, how they line up, what their formation is. He learns their tendencies. He reads their minds through their formation, through their stances, through the down and distance of the play. His success was testimony to his discipline. Winston Churchill, who has been referred to as the speaker of the 20th century, he was not a natural speaker. He had a very distracting lisp, which made him the butt of many jokes and resulted in his inability to be spontaneous in public speaking. In fact, he wrote everything out and he practiced it in front of mirrors. The margins of his manuscripts carried notes anticipating the cheers and the hear hears and the prolonged cheering and even standing ovation. So he had to write those little side notes down so he would know to stop and let them clap or let them cheer or whatever the occasion warranted. F.E. Smith, in a writing of Winston Churchill, writes these words, Winston has spent the best years of his life writing impromptu speeches. Friends, discipline is everything. Discipline is everything. I want to share with you today two thoughts about discipline. Number one, 
Discipline requires hard work. Now, you know that as well as I do. Discipline requires hard work. If I want to be consistent and persistent in something, it's going to require me to have discipline. Now, Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy in the city of Ephesus, he writes these words in his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul writes these to Timothy, But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise, that's the key word, and exercise yourself toward godliness. The word exercise that Paul uses here in the Greek is the word gumnazo. It comes from the Greek word gumnos, which literally means naked. And it's a word from which we derive our English word gymnasium. Now, that sounds kind of funny a little bit, actually. In the English Standard Version, it's the word train instead of the word exercise. The word train is translated to mean to exercise naked, to exercise vigorously in any way, either the body or the mind. You see, in traditional Greek athletic contests, the participants competed without clothing so as not to be encumbered. So by New Testament times, it referred to exercise and training in general. But even then, it was a word with the smell of the gym in it, the sweat of a good workout. Literally, what Paul is saying here is gymnasticize or exercise, work out, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's the message that Paul is giving young Pastor Timothy here in the city of Ephesus and is giving us today. Just as the athletes discarded everything and competed gumnas, competed naked, free from everything that could possibly burden them, we must get rid of every encumbrance, every association, every habit, every tendency which impedes godliness. If we want to excel, we must, if you will, strip ourselves to a lean spiritual nakedness. Now, I'm not encouraging you in any way by saying that, hey, the pastor said that, you know, I can go work out now and I'm supposed to go naked because that's what the Bible's teaching. That is not what I'm saying here. But you get the point of application, right? Paul is using a word that says, I need to strip myself of everything that's going to hinder me from being all that I need to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our tendency is to want results now. And we miss learning key lessons through the process as a result of wanting it now. Learning to be disciplined is a process. Let me just encourage you folks, do not miss the key lessons in learning through the process. Let's take a couple of examples. Losing weight. When you start to lose weight and you get serious about it and you start exercising and eating properly, those first couple of days aren't very fun, are they? And, and you want to see results. You may step on the scale and say, okay, I weigh this. And you know, a day later, now that you've exercised and you've eaten healthier that day, you expect that scale to show a lesser number, right? We want the results. But it takes time. It takes effort. It takes discipline. Same is true for saving money, that you want to purchase something. You save a little bit here, you save a little bit here. Well, then you dig into that little savings because you need this. And it takes, wow, it takes discipline 
to get to that point. The same is true spiritually speaking. When it comes to reading the Word of God, it takes discipline. I need to make it a practice. I need to stay with it. I need to have a stick to attitude in reading the Word of God, in praying. I need to have a, an attitude of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and I'm going to stay with this. Verse memorization, dealing with a particular sin, it takes discipline. It takes persistence in dealing with that sin. You know, Making church a priority takes discipline. Yes, I'm going to be at church on Sunday because that's the Lord's day. That's the day we worship together. I know I have a lot of things I need to do, but I'm going to make this the priority. I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to be disciplined in loving my wife. When a couple dates, they're, they're all, you know, gooshy eye and all that kind of fun stuff and writing little notes and flirting with each other. But then when a husband marries the wife, and it's almost like those things get thrown out the window, it takes discipline. It takes discipline to grow in that relationship. So let me just encourage us again today. Discipline requires hard work. There's a process in that. And sometimes that process is long. It takes time. But I'm telling you, it's worth the process. So we see, first of all, that discipline requires hard work. But discipline also requires action. The writer in Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 1, it's a very familiar verse, says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word weight that the author uses here in the New American Standard Bible, it's translated encumbrance. It literally means whatever is prominent, whatever is bulk, mass, Hence, a burden, a weight, an encumbrance. It's not necessarily bad in and of itself. Often it is something perfectly innocent and harmless. But it weighs us down. It diverts our attention. It saps our energy. It dampens our enthusiasm for the things of God. Let's first of all talk about the things that weigh me down. The writer here says, lay aside every weight. What is that weight that burdens you down in your walk with Christ? Let me just give you a couple of examples here. Let's talk about the material weight. The material weight. When I become more concerned about my appearance, what I have, my stuff, my goodies, my collection, when I become more concerned about my appearance than my spiritual reality and vitality, my work and testimony for Christ are seriously encumbered. The material weight. Sometimes I think I have to have stuff to, to make me more acceptable, stuff to make me proud and make me recognized in my community. The material weight, stuff. <laughs> what about the performance weight? I'll refer to this as legalism. That was really the, the Hebrews issue, hanging on to the old religious ways the teachings of the Old Testament covenant were, they weren't bad, but they became weighty, especially when the Pharisees and the Sadducees added on to God's law. Think about the temple rituals. They were not bad, but they became weighty. 
It was really a ball and chain for these Hebrew Christians. And sometimes we as believers, we're more worried about looking the part, you know, our performance, our church attendance, our giving. I'll even go as far as saying, you know, we want to get baptized because we want everybody to know. I'm talking about external performances that make us look good, that make us look religious, not necessarily spiritual. Then there's the relational weight. You know that people can weigh us down, and it might require us to separate from a particular relationship. Sometimes I see young people and get into dating relationships, and and they know in their heart of hearts that this is not a healthy relationship because it's not spiritually healthy. But in their minds, they're thinking, well, this is all there is. This is the only fish in the pond. And they enter into these relationships, and eventually it pursues, and they get married, and then they come along years later and say, you know, this isn't good. I married a man who has no spiritual interest in the things of me. Let me share this quote with you. Good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. You see, folks, there is so much truth in that. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for good. Settle for the best. Settle for what God has for you in your life. The relational weight. Sometimes it can really weigh heavy on you. And I, too, can weigh heavy on people also. I can be that weight to other people, and and that's not good. The things that weigh me down, the writer says, lay aside every weight. Now, we know that the heaviest of all weights is sin. The writer says, the sin which so easily ensnares us. All sin is a hindrance to Christian living. But the writer uses the definite article here, the sin, to indicate a particular sin. The one sin that hinders the race of faith is unbelief, doubting God. Doubting and living in faith contradict one another. You see, I will never get anywhere spiritually without a conscious divestment of the things that are holding me back. What things are weighing me down? The call to discipleship, the call to being a disciple, demands that I throw it off. Am I willing to be disciplined enough to throw aside those heavy weights that are hindering me from my walk with Christ? The call to train for godliness suggests directing all of my energy towards godliness. Let me close with these three verses out of the book of Corinthians. Paul says in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, 26, and 27. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Friends, thanks for joining us today. I trust your heart's been encouraged and challenged as we looked at the disciplines of a godly person and what it takes. Discipline requires hard work. Discipline requires action. God bless. Have a great day.